Okay, just wanted to do a quick recording here, hopefully with the purpose of being an encouragement to my own heart in Christ, and also uh, to friends and family who might listen to this, and uh, especially in relation to the amount of research I've been doing lately just on the kind of preaching that is done here locally that a lot of my <clears throat> friends and family are subjecting themselves to. And um, I've just noticed, and it's, it's a burden to me, how much of it is man-centered. And that would even be surprising to some to hear that in relation to the preaching that they're under because Jesus is frequently mentioned. The cross is frequently mentioned. There's much truth scattered throughout the sermons. But the whole of the preaching is still centered on man, things being better in the man's life, in the person's life. Um, it's also not confessional. It's not resting. It's not doctrinal. It's not focused on the work of Christ. It's as if there is this thing that Christ did and you may or may not really fully believe and we're going to try to get you to believe it more and better and to determine whether you have believed it more or better or not, you're going to examine yourself in light of how you have performed according to certain lists of rules, maybe within certain denominations, certain kinds of ways of expressing things. Um, so again, in, in many of my friends, churches and denominations, there's always got to be a level of excitement, of revivalism, of, of feeling uh, things and, and really feeling revived. Um, I've also noticed that there's a constant pressure, especially by these men who call themselves evangelists, to um, w press down on the people with how well they are or are not performing, whether they're coming to church on Sunday nights or not, and whether they're giving, whether they're giving to the uh, evangelist or not, whether they are hearing a word from God about whether or not or how much they should give. And... Um, they also take the scriptures and just twist them. Again, leaving Christ in there, mixed in there, but twist the scriptures just consistently, um, making them about the person, making every character in the Bible a, a, a person, a moral, whether we're, we're supposed to decide whether this person has been good or bad. And then if we can find enough good lessons from them, we... We kind of compare ourselves there to see how we're doing stacked up against this person. Or we maybe find all the bad things that they did and find how we compare there. And so, you know, it's just constant moralizing. It's man-centeredness. It's finding out who your Goliath is, finding out how you are or are not like David, finding out how you are or are not like Thomas, doubting Thomas. Um, and how he may be, how you maybe you are his twin or not. Um, 
just that's just some recent examples of things that I've heard. And I'm just burdened for my friends. I'm not trying to be polemical. I'm not trying to beat up their pastors or or beat them up for their churches. Um, but boy, there's just such a lack of emphasis on the gospel, the actual gospel, not not the decisionistic come forward while we play emotional music, manipulating your emotions um, and mentioning Jesus and the cross and that as we do that, as we manipulate emotions and get people to come forward and pray again and feel changed and, and feel better than they did the last time that they prayed that prayer and all these kind of things. But preaching the gospel from the beginning to the end, how the promise made in Genesis 3.15 um, is being kept all through the scriptures as we as we watch and we see that Christ is the fulfillment of that promise and of all the consequent promises and we see types and shadows of him consistently but it's always pointing us to Christ and now that he has come and he has fulfilled the crushing of the serpent's head and he rose from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God, how it's done, it's finished, it's complete, the work is done and we can rest in him and how he was a fulfillment of all these types and shadows. Now we can look back through the lens of the New Testament and see how he is the true and better Adam, how he's the true and better Moses, how he's the ark, how he is uh, the, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because of what I'm about to get into, but, uh, but anyway, so, Rather than, and I thought about taking some of these sermons that I've seen just, again, all throughout our county that just point men inwardly, cause them to compare themselves amongst themselves, cause them to try to feel something, to have some sort of assurance, um, to have some sort of emotional high, uh, to, to have a new decision that they can point to a new decision day that they can point to, another rededication, just constant what I call and what many in historical studies would call revivalism. And I would just challenge you to study that if you're curious enough, maybe even read a book by Ian Murray in the Banner of Truth called Revival and Revivalism and see where much of this preaching of today actually comes from. And it comes from, stems from a doctrine that's man-centered and is not Christ-centered, is not biblical theology through and through, but rather is emotional, revivalistic, turning you inward to see if you have uh, been living right, making the right decisions, and if Maybe you should examine that decision that you made that day under that one particular evangelist and maybe remake it today under this evangelist, especially with this particular song playing that makes you cry. And so all that to say, rather than take these sermons and try to show you the error, which there's much, maybe a better option for a time is to take good old sermons on Christ, rightly using the scriptures and dividing the scriptures and expounding upon the scriptures and just show true and good preaching. And, uh, and so for that, uh, there is a resource that I have tried to point people to before. 
um, called Chapel Library. I would recommend you look it up, chapellibrary.org. Their monthly publication is free and godly and will point you to Christ. And then also there on their website, you can order about $20 worth of free books every single month. That will be reprints pretty much of old sermons on Christ. And so I would highly recommend that, taking advantage of that. And so as I want to show you more of the authentic and the real, so that maybe you will be able to see for yourself um, the manipulation that is being done in the pulpits and possibly in your own pulpit. And not that you would go and stir things up and cause trouble and, and become critical and now no church would be good enough for you or any of that, but to, to look and to pray and to, to seek out the right kind of preaching and teaching and fellowship that will be primarily confessional and will be doctrinal and will be Christ-centered. And again, many might agree who are sitting under bad preaching that preaching should be Christ-centered and you're not noticing that another Christ, another Jesus is being preached and that you're being made merchandise of. So, I could go on, but I want to just take the time and begin doing a little series here uh, from the publication of Chapel Library called The Free Grace Broadcaster for the spring of 2022. They've done an entire issue called Christ in the Old Testament, Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, there are Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 sermons in here by J.C. Ryle, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, William Plummer, John Calvin, Matthew Henry, Charles Simeon, James Durham, George Whitfield, another one by him, Richard Sibbs, and then lastly, another one by Charles Spurgeon. And so I just wanted to take some time. I'll try to not offer too much commentary in here and just let the sermons speak for themselves, although they do have some footnotes and things in here that I will refer to since you're not looking at this. And hopefully, hopefully, ultimately, this will be something that God will use in my own weakness and foolishness to just help maybe one person to more fully grasp the work that has been accomplished on the cross so that they won't flip around backwards the epistles, which in most churches, usually the preachers go to the second half of the epistles about how we should now live, and they begin to pick and choose pieces of that and sermonize and beat you up about things you are or are not doing in relation to their own uh, their own judgments of what is what is good and what is bad and Again, not even building that on the foundation of what has been done for you in Christ that will be foundational in the earlier parts of those epistles. So there I go again. Let's actually just get into these sermons and see how it goes. So this first one is not a sermon. It's just an introduction by J.C. Ryle called The Key to Bible Knowledge. Forgive the background noises here as I put on my 
glasses to see a little better. So J.C. Ryle lived 1816 to 1900. Highly recommend much of his writing. He was the bishop of the Anglican of an Anglican church, born at Macclesfield, Cheshire County, England. And let's see what he has to say. Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, here I go. I said I wouldn't make too much commentary. Real quick. Many of you sit under preaching that is done where a pastor reads a verse and then opines for a long time on things very, that have very little to do with that scripture or the context of it. It is dangerous to preach out of a verse, yet many of these men here, Ryle being one, Spurgeon certainly being one, even Whitfield, will do this. They will take a verse and preach on it. But the difference is that in those days, they had a, uh, a commitment to the Scriptures to preach based on a biblical theology, a context, taking into account the entire context of the entire Scriptures and, of course, that passage itself. And they often were dealing with people that had at least some knowledge of the Scriptures, and so as Ryle here takes off on this, he's not just going to do like many of the pastors in the pulpits today and, and twist it and make it say things that it didn't say and uh, pull it out from its context. So again, go look at the context here. Go look at the context here and uh, if you need to unless you know it already. And then uh, we'll move on. Okay, Luke 24, 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded it to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let us mark how full the Old Testament is of Christ. We are told that our Lord began at Moses and all the prophets and expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How shall we explain these words? In what way did our Lord show things concerning himself in every part of the Old Testament field? The answer to these questions is short and simple. Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses, whose glorious advent filled the pages of prophets. Christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head, the true seed in whom all nations were blessed, the true Shiloh to whom the people were to be gathered, the true scapegoat, the true brazen serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, and the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. These things, or something like them, we need not doubt were some of the things 
that our Lord expounded in the way to Emmaus. Let it be a settled principle in our minds in reading the Bible that Christ is the central sum of the whole book. So long as we keep Him in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. Once losing sight of Christ, we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. The key to Bible knowledge is Jesus Christ. So that's the end of that short exhortation by J.C. Ryle. Now I hope you'll hear. I know that there are many of you right now who would say amen. But you don't hear. You don't see how men are taking you for a ride <laughs> and getting your eyes off of Christ while they claim to be speaking for Him. Here's just a simple exercise. Take the past few revivalistic sermons that have been preached either by your pastor or by some self-proclaimed evangelist and, and listen again and see if a religious and sincere Seventh-day Adventist or or just maybe even religious um, Mason who's a he's in the Masonic order and he's a, a deacon in his Baptist church or or a, a serious Roman Catholic that you know who's who's wants to do good and do right and please God a serious Mormon a serious Jehovah's Witness who who they all have their rigid rules and laws that they live by in ways that they think man should do better and be better. And listen to these sermons again, preached in your church, and imagine that you're those people. And I think you'll find that often, that even as a lost cult member could say, Amen, Amen, Amen. That's right. Because the Bible is twisted and used to... Basically say, be like this guy. Do like this guy. Be better. Do better. Be more sincere. Make a new decision. It all turns you inwardly instead of outwardly to Christ. Every, every bit of the Bible is pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the substitute, the propitiation. Let me read again the last paragraph and we'll stop here. Maybe this will only be an encouragement to myself as I think through these things and nobody else will ever listen and that's fine. But listen to this. Let it be a settled principle in our minds in reading the Bible. Did you hear that? In reading the Bible, so, so this is your time, of, not just sitting under somebody who's reading it to you, but in you reading it, you're not there reading it to 
Find a little phrase that encourages you for the day. No, in reading the Bible, that Christ is the central sum of the whole book. So long as we keep Him in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. Once losing sight of Christ, we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. And that's why people and your youth are so open to other ideas because Christ is not preached. The Bible is moralized, sermonized, revivalized, decisionized. And so your young people are disheartened, discouraged, maybe even have never been truly pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God. They're looking to the decision that they made, the decisions that they've made, and they find that they are weak, they find that they are still sinful, they find that they cannot, and they begin to hate the God of the Bible because they, know, they do, not, do not know Him. And the only way that they can know Him is to be reconciled to Him through Christ, about whom the entire Bible is written. I hope that'll be an encouragement to somebody somewhere, somehow. And then next, if you care to come to the next one, I will read the next sermon here by Spurgeon. And we'll take a look at that. It's called The Gospel of the Serpent's Doom.